Thank you so much. And I am uh, delighted on behalf of the Boston Bar Association to welcome all of you in the audience to this year's Strategies for Success discussion. Since we'll, we will be talking about success, which can mean very different things to different people, I thought it would be helpful to have each panelist introduce himself or herself and provide a quick overview of uh, your professional journey to date. And I will start. Uh, my name is Suma Nair. I am currently the Chief Fiduciary Officer of Fiduciary Trust Company in Boston and its affiliated trust company in New Hampshire. Before moving to fiduciary in January of this year, I was a partner in the private client and trust practice group of Goulston and Stores in Boston, where I began my legal career as a summer associate in 2004. You can do the math. Uh, next, I will ask each panelist to follow suit. So, Alan, can I start with you? Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Suma. My name is Alan Matthew. I am a senior litigation associate at Mintz in our Boston office. Uh, I started my legal career at Mintz as a summer associate in 2016. Thank you, Alan. Bree. Good afternoon. My name is Bree Nisha. I am currently a clinical law professor at New England Law Boston. I am also the current president of the Massachusetts Association of Hispanic Attorneys, as well as the co-chair of the Massachusetts Domestic and Sexual Violence Council. Prior to joining New England Law, I was a staff attorney at the Victimized Law Center, where I oversaw our pro bono program, as well as the internship program. Terrific. Thank you. Anna. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Anand Saraswath. I'm a counsel uh, in IP litigation and postgrad proceedings at Wolf Greenfield here in Boston. Um, I started my uh, my legal career in 2010 uh, as an associate at Wilmer Hale, um, left for a year to clerk on the First Circuit, uh, went back to Wilmer Hale, um, then from there went to Latham and Watkins here in Boston for a bit, um, and now I do uh, IP litigation um, uh, and kind of similar patent work, uh, mostly in the computer science and electrical engineering area. Um, and um, I also have uh, a pretty active side practice doing uh, immigration law pro, pro bono that I've kind of kept up with ever since law school. Terrific, thank you. And Jamil. Hi everyone, Jamil Moore. I'm the associate at Anderson and Krieger. I started my legal career um, at a small law firm, then went to work in the government. And prior to moving to the firm last year, I was a federal attorney with the Department of Interior. Perfect. Thank you all for being part of this panel. I think we're going to have a really great discussion. So as I mentioned in my opening remarks, there are many different paths to and paths to and definitions of success. And it's important, I think, to understand your own view of success, which may be informed by or influenced by other people and can evolve over time, but really can only be defined by you for you. So with that in mind, um, Anand, do you have some thoughts or experiences to share on this topic? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I think what, what Suma said about kind of you needing to define your own success and kind of how that definition changes over time is, it, it, it is very, very important. And I think that, um, you know, it's important to kind of sort of keep your sanity as a lawyer, I think, throughout your career to sort of recognize that your definition of success can change and, and, and that's totally okay. Um, you know, I can I can tell you sort of from my experience when I was just out of law school, younger, when, when my hair wasn't this gray, when I didn't have kids, you know, my kind of definition of success was sort of more, I think, materialistic. I kind of wanted to, I was happy to sort of grind things out, build as many hours as I can, you know, make as much money as I could. Um, you know, then I got older, you know, my wife and I had kids and I, and my definition of success kind of changed over time. And so now I feel like I'm successful because I'm, 
able to do work that I like doing. And also, you know, I have to take my son to a baseball game after this meeting, which I'll have time to do, which I wouldn't have had time to do, I think, if I had sort of um, kind of chosen a different kind of work style. So I think you just sort of, you, you sort of have to recognize that what you might want when you start your legal career is not going to be the same thing that you might want later. Um, and you have to be willing to sort of recognize that. And, and sometimes that involves having difficult conversations. You know, I've, I've had, um, you know, experiences in my career where I've had people, you know, tell me I should stay in a certain thing. And I've had to tell them, no, look, I appreciate what you're trying to do for me, but I've, you know, this is not the right thing for me at this time. And I've, you know, gone and done something else. And I think it takes an enormous amount of, um, work to get yourself to a place where you start to define those things. So I think it's absolutely true when you're a new lawyer coming out of law school or a, a newer lawyer at a firm or at a, at a company, a lot of your ideas and definitions of success come from your peers, come from those around you who are doing the same things. And it can be very easy to um, just assume that the your community's view of success should be your view of success. And I think it takes a lot for you to break yourself from that mold and really say, but am I happy? Is this what I wanna be doing? Is this success to me? And it can be a hard conversation with others, but I found it's a harder conversation with yourself. <laughs> One that you have to have over and over again. Bree, do you wanna talk a little bit about your views on this? Yeah, I echo everything Anat said. I think success to me is doing what I love. Um, there's this quote that says, when you do what you love, you don't feel like you're working. And I feel like that's where I am in my career. But granted, it took a lot to get here. I had to scrap. I had to do the foundational work. But once I get here, I can do these panels. I can go to different events. So I think, and I have autonomy over my schedule. I come into the office 11. I leave at like eight. So I don't, I'm not within the little strict squares. And I think that's success to me. Doing what I want on my own terms, but still doing the work that I love to do. Yeah, and that, that leads me to another question. Um, you know, are there, have, has among the panelists, have you viewed there to be different sort of timelines and horizons for what your view of success can be? So Brie, you were saying now you have, and uh, Anant, you said the same thing. Now you have time to go pick up the kids in soccer to be part of a panel like this. Um, did you view that as being available to you when you were a, a more junior attorney? And, and if so, how did you make that happen? Or how did you come to terms with the fact that that wasn't maybe, I can see Bree shaking her head, maybe that wasn't as, uh, as available to you. And you spoke a little bit about the foundations had to be laid first before you can actually do what you wanted to do. So maybe you can, you can pick up on that theme. Yeah, I really felt a lot because I'm, I'm a mom too, to my nephew. And when I first started, he was living here with me and I I would have to scramble to figure out how am I going to get this kid to school? How am I going to pick him up? Like I couldn't stay late after work, but now I'm like, okay, I have to go pick him up from school. So it's, but I, I had to earn that. I had to show that I can do the work and that I will get it done, but it took a while to get to that point. Yeah. And I sort of say the same thing. I mean, I think it, 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 it took a while for me to sort of have enough confidence in myself that I wasn't worried that if I had to tell somebody sorry, I can't do X, Y, and Z project because I need to go, you know, to do this thing outside of work. Like it, it, it took me a while get, to get to the point where I wasn't worried that that would kind of reflect badly on me and it, and, and to sort of have enough confidence in my own um, abilities where I, you know, where I can feel confident that people are still going to want to work with me, even if I'm not kind of uh, available 24 seven. Um, and in my case, it also involved, you know, kind of making a career switch. I, I started my career at 
bigger law firms. Um, I really enjoyed my time at the sort of big law firms that I was at, but eventually I decided, you know, I need to do something different and move to, you know, um, a, a, a slightly smaller firm and get out of, um, you know, the kinds of like very, very fast paced IP litigation I was doing, you know, at my previous jobs. And so it just, it, it you know, as kind of like to, to what Sumo was saying earlier, it took me a while to convince myself that I should then go and have these conversations with the partners at these big law firms who wanted me to stay and tell them, look, no, sorry, I can't do it. I, I have to go do something else. I'll just yeah. quickly add, you know, uh, the the points that Anant and, and Bree just made are very much kind of rooted in the reality of law firms, the corporate world, and the legal profession as a whole. But, you know, I would definitely also encourage uh, more junior attorneys, younger attorneys to start thinking about these things sooner. Um, and I think the reality for a lot of us is that, you know, the fast paced um, environments in which we operate, it's kind of hard to take that step back and, and think about those things. And I was certainly guilty of that, too, at a more junior level. But, you know, I think the reality is a lot of us, um, you know, might be coming into the profession with a lot of other um, responsibilities and obligations outside of work. And what I hate to see is people come into this industry and feel as though it's not a good fit for them because they have other things going on or they have other obligations. So um, while yes, those comments are very much rooted in today's reality, I would love to see a shift in the way that this industry operates. And I think that being intentional and you know really kind of taking the time to invest in yourself and you know your families or whatever your other obligations may be and start thinking about that early and let that inform your decision making um, I think will go a long way. I agree 100% and I, I also think that um, all responsibilities whether they're in the workplace or whether they're outside the workplace ebb and flow and the hardest part is when they flow at the same time Right. And then trying to figure out, like, there's literally not enough hours in the day for you to do everything that you might have on your plate. And so the re the reality then becomes, how do you how do you kind of keep the balls in the air? Don't drop anything, but at the same time, recognize that your attention is in different places at different times. Um, and then making the space when you have the ability, and this could be, when I say ebb and flow, it could be years where your focus is on a growing family or some uh, an ailing parent, um, and then years where you can really focus yourself on your career development, and those don't coincide for people at the same times, and it can be difficult in, um, I think, in the traditional law firm model where there is a track that is years-based, and I think a lot of this is changing to Alan's point about the profession and growth in the profession is, I think, I think law firms and law firm management is, they're really starting to think about what is the realistic trajectory of a person's um, uh, professional lifespan? And does it really need to sit neatly in this 10-year block? Or can it be something beyond that that doesn't say that you're a lesser attorney? It just says that you've got other things happening that are just as important and you should be able to make time for that. So hopefully that's where the profession is going and we can all be a part of that evolution. Jamil, uh, I don't know if you wanted to, to chime in on this topic before we move on to the next, but I wanted to give you a chance to do that as well. Thank you. Yes. And I would just say that I was one of those people that had other obligations 
um, when I started my legal career that I had to focus on. And so I found roles that allowed me to balance my work life with my personal life in a way that was going to be satisfying for me. And I was fortunate to find roles that were flexible and that um, work with people that were understanding of my obligations. And now that some of those obligations have shifted, I am able to now kind of get back out there and do more things and attend the events and be on the panels. And so I think, you know, that may happen at different points in your career. And as we started off, everybody's path will not look the same way. And it's okay if those obligations may take you away from some things in the beginning, because you can always pick it up later on. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, just a reminder to the audience, um, you can use your Q&A function to ask questions. I'm probably going to try to um, run through those questions at the end of the session. So please feel free to put in your questions whenever they come up and come to your mind. Okay, so let's move on to the next topic. Uh, one major theme that always comes up in discussions about pathways and strategies for success um, is the importance of mentorship and sponsorship. And one way that I've heard these roles distinguish from one another is that a member talks to you uh, while a sponsor talks about you when you aren't in the room. In other words, a sponsor advocates for you when you're not in the room where decisions are made. So typically that person is someone who has influence over the trajectory of your career. So um, let's kick this off. Um, Anant, can you talk a little bit about this difference and your experiences with it? Yeah, sure. So uh, as, as Suma said, there, there is a difference. And I think um, I, I can tell you, I myself didn't realize what that difference was, unfortunately, I think kind of uh, until later in my career. And I think, you know, I, I mentioned that because I want to make sure nobody else kind of has that experience either. Like a mentor is someone who gives you advice about your career and can help you. An advocate is someone who has the power to advance your career, like Suma is saying, you know, um, when you're not in the room, but also like someone who, who kind of like knows what to tell you to do, right? And you have to understand the difference. And I feel like I didn't really understand the difference between those two things until I left my first job and went to my second job and had advocates. And I was like, oh, this is what it means to have an advocate, right? Like an advocate is somebody who is going to not only you know, advocate for you in the sort of partnership meetings for promotion and that kind of thing, but who's also going to like proactively call you and tell you like, hey, you, you need to be on this case. You need to go to this meeting. You need to talk to this person. And I think that, um, you know, for, for people who are sort of first generation professionals or like first generation in the law firm world, they may not necessarily recognize what the signs are to look for. So when I was a junior associate, you know, I was getting a lot of work. People liked working with me. They kept stacking me on cases. I was getting good reviews. I thought that meant that I had advocates. Like I thought it meant that if people wanted to work with me and staff and staff me on cases, it meant that they were advocating for me. That's not what it meant, right? Like an advocate is somebody who is going to like drag you into a meeting with a client or drag you into a meeting with key partners. Or, you know, I'll, I'll never forget one memorable moment I had. I had a partner when I was at Latham stand up in front of a judge and ask the judge to hear argument on a motion that the judge didn't want to hear because I had written it and this partner wanted me to argue it. Like that's the kind of advocacy you need to have. And I think um, that's not necessarily what a mentor's role is, right? Like Asumo was saying, a mentor's role is to sort of teach you how to be a better lawyer. Um, they can also be an advocate and sometimes you're lucky and you have mentors who are also advocates. Um, but they're not always the same thing. And I think that as, as young lawyers, 
it's important to be on the lookout for both um, and make sure you have both types of people um, on your side. For sure. Alan, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I was actually going to make the same exact point that Adam just ended uh, his point with. And because I've, I've gotten that question from more junior attorneys about kind of which is more important or which ones kind of earlier on in their career they should be going after. And the reality is it's it's both and it's it's always both from the beginning all the way through your career. You want to have both. And to Annan's point, um, you if you're lucky, you will find a handful of people who can serve as both, right? But it's fine if if the the folks with whom you're regularly interacting serve one role but not the other as long as you are constantly being mindful that you need to check both of those boxes. And, um, and that's okay, right? It's, and it's okay to seek that kind of mentorship and sponsorship from multiple people. In fact, it's usually helpful to have multiple people. Um, I think with the word mentor, there tends to be this notion that there's this one individual who's your go-to person. That's the person that you all, you ask all your questions. Uh, that's the person who's going to guide you. And that's not necessarily true. Um, I have very close mentors within my firm. I have very close mentors outside of my firm, but they also touch on many different aspects of my career and very different aspects of what my firm does and what, you know, uh, what options are available within the legal industry. So being able to have multiple touch points with multiple people who can offer diverse perspectives, all kind of designed to bring you to the place where you want to be, going back to that first point of success and, and what that means for you, that's really important. And having people who not only have the experience to guide you to get there, but also who have the um I guess the mental wherewithal to understand that it's also a listening process where they need to hear from you as to what it is that you want to accomplish or hope to accomplish. That's really important. But at the end of the day, you know, you do need the mentor who's going to kind of help teach you the nuts and bolts, right? The, the, you know, for the sports analogy, that might be your personal trainer, right? Whereas the, the sponsor might be, the head coach it's not the, the greatest analogy but it's it's you can probably you, you catch where i'm going with this right you you need somebody that's there to kind of help you day to day to develop your skills to make sure that you're that you're not missing blind spots but you also need someone who's kind of your your overall big picture guide who is going to help push you from junior to mid-level to senior to potentially partner if, if that's the context and in, in which you're operating and who's gonna be really there in your corner and pushing you, advancing you. Uh, I think Sumo made the, the um, or kind of gave the quote earlier of the person who is speaking about you when you're not in the room. You really need that person, um, but you can't, you can't get to where you're getting to without having both. You know, it's, it's all well and good to have an advocate, but if you're also not developing your skills and not advancing, you're not gonna get very far. And to Adam's point, you could be working on all the cool cases and getting all the opportunities in the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean that where the important conversations are being had, your name is being advanced in a meaningful way. Um, and look, this is not to stress out uh, law students and, and junior associates about, you know, I'm already behind, I need to be talking to this person, that person. It's really more of kind of 
framing the mindset so that you're thinking about this as you go. And to be clear, this is a years long process. You're not going to necessarily find these people on day one or even year one. Um, but you want to, as you uh, work with people, as you start to get these experiences, kind of be on the lookout for who is really invested in your success, because those are going to be the people who, who fit both the mentor and the sponsor slash advocate role. Yeah, and to that point about investment um, in you, I think it's also really important, and I always tell my mentees this, uh, no one else is going to invest in you if you don't invest in yourself. And that investment in yourself has to be apparent, right? So on that point, um, I think both of you touched on um, the importance of having advocates within your own workplace, which I think is easier to get because those folks who are in your workplace actually see the investment you're putting into your professional career, as well as the quality of your work product, your, your analysis, all of those things that make it a little easier for them to advocate because they'll have specific examples. Um, Bree and Jamil, can you talk a little bit about um, the need for and the, and the different strategies for obtaining mentorship and, and sponsorship outside your workplace? How do you find those people who are not necessarily working with you day to day, but who can be those resources for you that might not be invested in you staying where you are? They might have a different, different reason for mentoring you. Bree, do you want to start? Yeah, I think networking is key. When I was in law school, I was very shy and didn't really want to be out there doing anything, but I, I called it a necessary evil, but it, it really is. Like you need to get out there. You need to meet people. You need to make the connections. Boston is literally so little that if I meet Alan, he's not doing what I want to do like career-wise, I'm sure he knows someone. So when you get out there, you start to see these faces, your network kind of builds itself, but you need to put yourself out there. As a law professor, what I see is a lot of students are hesitant to make those connections. They don't want to ask people for help, but we love that stuff. Like we love like pulling people through. We love helping them. We love building those connections for you because people have done it for us. So it's kind of like only the rite of passage to bring others through as well. So don't be afraid to get out there. Just meet people, genuinely talk to them, genuinely build relationships, and they will get to know you and your interests and then guide you. Um, so that's my suggestion. Jamil, did you want to add anything to this, this particular topic? Yes, I would just add that professional organizations, community organizations, volunteering, they're all great ways to meet people. I've done that in my own career, and it's as easy as showing up. You show up, you get involved, um, you work with people on different things, and then the relationships tend to develop from that you start to see people over and over again when you're in a room and it's like oh I saw you at that event a couple weeks ago and you know it just sort of um, develops from there so I would encourage um, students and new lawyers and, and you're going to continue to do this throughout your career this is not something that's just for when you're starting out um, you're going to build these relationships and I believe as Suma said earlier um, this is and Alan this is something that is going to continue to go on through the course of your career. It's not something that you just work on in the beginning. You may not even see any benefits from it in the beginning. Sometimes these things can take years to develop. And it's really important to nurture those relationships that you're building and to keep in contact with people, let them know the different things that are going on um, with you. And as um, Bree said, um, to ask for it. And I think sometimes we're so used to doing things as an individual and feeling that 
uh, we can't reach out. It's really important to also reach out and let people know that maybe you're looking to make a transition or you're looking to develop skills in some particular area. If people don't know um, what you're looking for, then it's harder for them to help you. That's a really great point. And I'm going to pull on one of the threads that you started with, Jamil, which is um, ways that volunteering and investing your time in pro bono work can help your career and help you collect mentors and sponsors along the way. Um, so, you know, thinking about what groups you've been involved in um, or know of that you would recommend to newer, newer lawyers who are seeking opportunities outside of their own workplace for personal and professional growth. Um, Bree, maybe you can kick this one off. I think the local affinity bars, obviously, as the president of Maha, that's where I found my home as a Latina from LA coming to Boston. I really didn't know where my community was, but I knew that there was Hispanic attorneys in Boston. So I went there, seeing with the mass black lawyers or people who have my similar experience who are in the positions that I want to be in. And these affinity bar organizations have specific events. They have specific groups and committees for law students, newer students. So this stuff is built for you all. You just need to go out there and take advantage of it. I quite frankly owe my whole career to volunteering. Um, the way I got to where I was is I volunteered with the attorney who happened to be in Maha. I got immigration experience who got my first job there. And then there I mentored law students who got me to be able to have the experience that I have now to be a clinical law professor. And then all started with volunteering and getting out there with the affinity bars. Um, law schools have it, have their own things and alumni networks, but it's nice to branch out and to get into the committee because it's kind of, it can be a lot of like condensed when you go to the same New England law events and you see all the students and the professors. So get out there. So not only do what's at your school, but get out in the different organizations. If it is um, an education field, like whatever it is, and I know the Boston Bar Association has different sections. So get involved in those, just branch out, go look and experience it. Okay, great advice. Jamil, do you want to add to that? Yeah, sorry, I'm trying to get myself off of mute. But yes, like the affinity bars are wonderful. I'm part of the Mass Black Lawyers Association and it has been um, very rewarding to be on the board and participate. I'm also very involved with the BBA. And when I first got out of law school, I had a colleague who was involved in the new lawyers committee. And she encouraged me to come along to a meeting and I did and that's how I got to meet people. Um, so it's just, it's a great way of making great connections, um, a great way to even get substantive knowledge on the area. I know when I um, left a state role and moved over to the federal government, I was going into a new practice area. And I wanted to meet people in that practice area. So I joined um, a committee with um, people in that area, got to know people in actually ended up working now with two of the people I met from that committee. And that was not my intention when I went there. So it's you don't know like the the people that you'll meet what will take place what will happen but it's a great way just to broaden your network and not only for personal development but professional terrific uh not and alan do you want to add anything to this thread yeah i i, I just think i would i would echo everything that um that uh, brie and jamil said i mean i think that one particularly for the law students, I think um, it is it is a tremendous resource that you have to be going to law school in a city where there's practicing lawyers, you know, in all these buildings around you, right? Like you should take advantage of that. Um, 
you know, there are so many networking opportunities that you have to meet practicing lawyers while you're in law school. Um, and you should definitely do it because, you know, I think, um, A, it, it builds your network and it's never too early to, to start building your network. B, I mean, for, for some people, myself included, like networking is something very, very scary, right? Like I'm not naturally the kind of person that likes to sort of go in and meet new people. Um, so for me, I think like, you know, it, it took me a couple of years to sort of uh, basically practice to sort of get comfortable doing it. And if you're that kind of person, the earlier you can start in your career, you know, doing it in law school, the better. I'll just quickly add, uh, you know, one piece of this was doing pro bono work uh, as kind of one other area of, of volunteering. And, um, you know, I think for people who are a little bit less comfortable going to networking events and just kind of being in this almost forced uh social interaction um, uh, arena. Uh, and to be clear, I love the social events. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable in either space, but uh, I think doing uh, pro bono work does oftentimes, not always, but does oftentimes give you opportunities to collaborate with people in, in kind of other firms, other areas of the city, other areas of the state, while also developing your legal skills, which is also what I would consider a strategy for success as well, because uh, you can have all the mentorship in the world. Uh, if you're not actually developing your skills and doing good work, it's also not going to get you very far. But, um, you know, particularly as a junior attorney, uh, the reality is, and kind of speaking from the perspective of a litigator here, um, I'm not going to be in court super often as a second year, third year litigator, right? But if I'm doing pro bono work, chances are I am at least, uh, at least afforded the opportunity to be in a courtroom advocating on behalf of a client, et cetera. And in many of those instances, I am collaborating with um, you know, my colleagues at Goodwin or Wilmer or you know, whatever other firm where there are these, these partnerships um, and kind of um, uh, group endeavors between you know, in-house folks, firm folks, um, and nonprofit uh, folks who are all kind of working towards the same uh, mission for their pro bono clients. So I've met a lot of awesome people, a lot of great attorneys from other places by doing pro bono work. Um, and it's kind of a good way to organically network as well. And I would just add that volunteering includes things like um, substantive work for bar associations. So if you do get involved in your um, in your section at the Boston Bar or Mass Bar, and you're doing work on, you know, legislation, you're helping with an amicus brief that involves your area of practice. If you volunteer for those types of things, people outside your firm, outside your practice area, outside your immediate community start to see what you're made of. And I'll just add, I think some of the questions in the Q&A have come in about how do you actually find sponsors as opposed to mentors? And, you know, it can be a simple act, right? Advocacy comes in many different forms. And one of the easiest ways to try and get sponsors is to identify causes that you wanna volunteer for, find out who's involved in those causes and find out how they can help you get involved. It's not a big ask. It shows that you have a lot of initiative. You get involved in things you wanna be involved in and that person then sees how you do. And you know that if they made the recommendation for you to be on the board or to be on a committee or to be involved in a substantive issue that the, the organization is dealing with, that they're gonna get feedback about you. And if you take that work with the same seriousness um, and diligence that you do your paid work, 
it, your reputation will rise within the community because people will naturally talk about you and will be willing. When we say advocacy, it means I'm going to put my reputation on the line to advocate for you to do something. That's a that's an ask. That's a that can be a big ask. But when it's when you're trying to find ways to help somebody fill a, a need and it coincides with your interests, it's a great way to build rapport and to build that sponsorship relationship. And volunteering is an easy way to do it. Great. Okay. So, so maybe let's move on to another question, which um, in today's world I think has really come to the forefront. I think you know a lot of us heard and 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 did our networking, mentorship, sponsorship requests in person, right? We were in our firms five days a week, sometimes more than that. Uh, we got to know people in the community because we could, you know. I know for some folks, um, you never want to go to networking events. You don't want to go to lunches. You don't want to go, go to cocktail receptions, but they were everywhere, right? That's what we did in, in Boston. You could see people out quite a bit and you had that ability to have one-on-one -on -one interactions within a larger group. You could bump into people. In today's hybrid or like totally remote for some people, uh, for some people it's hybrid, but you don't always know what days you're going to be in the office. Um, it's a lot harder, right, to, to make those connections and to continue them for the long term. So I think for a lot of folks who are coming out of law school or having started careers in the, the COVID environment, it's very difficult to see, like, how do I make those connections happen the same way my predecessors did? So, Alan, do you want to maybe start with a conversation about how you can develop these skills and, and exercise them in this new environment? And may, maybe Absolutely. some of the tips will be the same. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I mean, yeah, and I think this will kind of tie a lot of what we've been talking about together, you know, with it's, it's one of the things that I definitely worry about for for law students and um, incoming attorneys, particularly in this uh, weird new normal where for some of us, it means fully remote for some of us, it means hybrid. And, you know, I think particularly for uh, law students and attorneys of color, uh, first gen law students and, and attorneys, it can be especially daunting where, you know, for many of us, most of us, we come into a profession where we don't necessarily have, um, you know, family members, close family friends who, you know, have practiced law, do practice law that we can lean on. Um, for many of us, we go into law school not knowing any other attorneys. So I do worry about that. Uh, for folks coming in, in an environment where it's that much harder to kind of form those relationships. Um, but I mean, honestly, I, I don't think there's much of, I don't think there's much magic to it. It's really about being very persistent and being very consistent in your, your efforts to develop those relationships. So um, I'll share a quick story which funny enough actually kind of happened before COVID, before we were in this, in this remote environment. Um, but, you know, a big part of my practice now is sports and entertainment. I knew since I was a summer associate, maybe even before that, that I wanted to do sports and entertainment law. And one of the key sports and entertainment partners at my firm is not in Boston. Um, in fact, he's based in Atlanta where my firm doesn't even have an office, um, but, uh, he works fully remotely from Atlanta, and he was somebody who kind of from day one, I knew I wanted to connect with him. I wanted to um, work with him if I could, and I wanted to learn as much as I could from him. And 
you know, during almost the entirety of my first year, and I hope he doesn't see this video because I'm slightly calling him out. Um, you know, I, I, for many, many months, uh, for most of my first year, tried essentially nonstop, you know, I would respond to his conflict check emails, I would, you know, shoot him notes here and there just to check in, express interest in working with him, etc. And, you know, every once in a while, I would get a polite response, yeah, I'll keep you in mind, etc. Um, but I didn't really feel like I was making much progress. But uh, the advice that I got from um, other mentors of mine was just be consistent and persistent. And there was one event where I think we both found ourselves in the same city. We were both in New York or DC. And I just walked right up to him, pulled up a chair, sat next to him and introduced myself and said, hey, you probably recognize my name from all the emails I send you. Uh, I would love to work with you at some point. And, you know, he again said he will keep me in mind. And the reality was he was keeping me in mind. And there was one morning where he had something very urgent, needed a junior associate. I was like late first year, early second year at this point. And it turned out to be so urgent that I didn't even have enough time to go into the office. Um, I started working right then and there at around 730 in the morning and was working with him all day. And then, you know, that that matter ended up growing and, you know, was working with him uh, pretty consistently over the subsequent few weeks. And he was really happy with my work. And after that, you know, there was another thing that came up. So he called me again. And then that just kind of snowballed into what's now a very close relationship where, you know, as a senior associate, I'm now his go-to associate for any and all things litigation-based. And the reality is I almost never see him in person because he's in Atlanta. And uh, part of making sure that that mentor relationship has developed and grown over the years is in addition to doing work with him, every once in a while, I will text him, send him an email and say, hey, can we just set aside half an hour to chat? And you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be with an agenda. I just wanna talk to him, pick his brain a little bit, and develop a human connection and relationship to him. And now I consider him a close friend and he's done a lot to mentor me and teach me how to, how to be a good uh, sports and entertainment lawyer. But you know, going back to the, one of our earlier topics of mentorship versus sponsorship, I view him very much as a mentor, but also very much as a sponsor. And a lot of that is because you know, when we have those informal conversations, whether we're sitting down for lunch, having a Zoom, WebEx call, whatever it may be, I'm talking to him about what my vision is for my own future and where I see myself in five years, both as a lawyer broadly, um, as a sports entertainment lawyer specifically, um, as a you know, future husband, a future dad, all of those things, and just picking his brain and, and learning from his experiences and now he and I have conversations all the time about what it takes for me to get from where I am now to, you know, uh, seeking to make partner in a few years. And that's the kind of organic relationship where it's not something I was being overly calculated about in the beginning of like, how do I make this man into my sponsor or how do I make this man to my mentor? It's really about making myself available to him as much as possible when he does need me including, you know, for example, a couple of months ago when I was on vacation in Costa Rica, um, I pretty much told everybody I'm not going to be available 
and not reachable for the next week, but kind of on the side. And I hope now that the other lawyers at my firm aren't seeing this video, but you know, on the side kind of texted him and said, look, um, I'm bringing my computer with me. I don't intend to be on it, but if you need me, um, call me. And uh, sure enough, he needed something. It took me about three hours worth of time on vacation, but it was three hours that saves him a lot of time. So, you know, doing good work, being consistent and making yourself available gives these people a reason to want to invest in you as opposed to you just asking for it. There are a couple of great threads in that, Alan. There's the uh, number one fan way of approaching mentorship. There's also the um, I am essential to your success, so I need you to invest in my success. There are a couple of themes that come from that story, which are terrific. Um, Jamil, do you have some other advice for being the ideal mentee? Definitely. And I think it's important to be proactive and intentional. And remember that you are the driver in the seat of your career. And so you can't just kind of wait and hope that things will happen because that may or may not happen. And it may or may not happen um, you know, at the time that you want it to. So it's really important to take control of that. And as a mentor, what I have appreciated from some of my mentees is when they have reached out to me, they have been intentional about their ask. And I love that they will send me an email and you know, lay out the things that they're looking for and you know, look for a specific time that I'm available. And I think that's important too, when you are reaching out to people that may have a lot of commitments and it's not that they don't wanna get back to you, but they have a lot of things going on. So it's okay to follow up to ping them. And I think it's great to, you know, try to nail down a time when you reach out, like, are you available in the next couple of weeks? Um, it just kind of helps them focus and pinpoint and look at their schedule instead of just like, I'd like to talk to you at some time and who knows when that time will be. So I think being specific, being intentional, being proactive um, really goes a long way. And um, just like I said, taking charge of it and as your career, it's never too early as a student, it's never too early as a new attorney. Sometimes I think um, it may feel that your career is just kind of happening to you and um, it's not. Like you do have control over it. So um, taking the reins and you know leading with it and being visible. And I know it's hard being in a virtual or hybrid environment. And I think what we've learned from the last Two plus years is that we have to start thinking outside of the box getting creative and visibility doesn't only have to be visibility in the office so you can be visible on social media maybe you're on linkedin you can post articles um you know you can post different things that people will see you can be visible on panels you can um you know just be visible in a variety of ways so you don't have to think about it as the traditional way of being in person and look at the different ways that you can do things and raise your visibility and do the things that are comfortable for you that you know you enjoy doing and it could be you know something simple like writing a blog or whatever it is that you like so i think there's a lot of opportunity out there um, i think it's a, a great time that you're you know that you're getting into the legal career when i was starting out um, these things weren't really around or as visible and it was just a very certain trajectory that people took um, you know, to move forward in their career. And I feel like there's so many more tools available now 
And I would encourage everyone to use those tools that are, you know, that are at your hands right now. Perfect. Okay, so I'm seeing that we're rounding the corner and um, on our time, and I want to be sure we have time for questions at the end. So I'm going to ask our last question um, and see if maybe one or two uh, folks on the panel can chime in on this. So we've all read the statistics published by the ABA and others about the relative lack of diverse representation at the top of the power structures of large law firms and corporations. But how can that ever change if new lawyers don't have access to mentorship and sponsorship uh, from those who hold influences uh, influence within those corporate uh, current the current power structures. Um, if one or two of you can talk a little bit about cross cultural mentorship and sponsorship, and how you found ways to create connections with people who maybe don't have the same backgrounds as you, don't have the same family um, commitments as you, um, may not look like you physically. How do you create those connections um, given what the power structure of most law, large law firms and corporations are today? And who might want to start on this one? Anant, go ahead. Sure, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. So I mean, I, I think that you know, it, it can be hard. I think for, for those of us who are attorneys of color or, or who are kind of like the first generation in, in, in this profession, um, you have to kind of force yourself to get over that kind of hesitation of like making connections with people who aren't like you. Because I think what I've experienced is that if you if you spend enough time trying to like just talk to other people as people, right? Like, you know, you'll, you, you can almost always find a way to make a connection and form a relationship. And so like the example I always think of is, I think, you know, one of, one of the best advocates I've ever had in my career was a partner I used to work with uh, at my old job when I was at Latham, you know, like, completely different from me in kind of every way you could imagine, you know, I'm, you know, he was like a older, wealthy, white guy, former Navy SEAL, like very, very brash, outspoken personality. I'm just like quiet South Asian kid. Didn't think I would have anything in common with him at all, but I worked with him a lot. Um, it turned out that he likes to race motorcycles. I'm afraid of motorcycles, but my brother likes, you know, has a motorcycle. So I kind of managed to use that as like a opening by just asking a couple of basic questions about, about, about motorcycles and just like, you know, like being persistent, but also sort of like working with him and kind of doing good work for him helped me forge a relationship. And he became, you know, a, a, a very, very important advocate for me, even though sort of like on paper, if you sort of looked at me and looked at him, we weren't, we, we weren't really the type of people who I think would, under normal circumstances, kind of have any reason to have a relationship with each other. And so I think it's, it, it's, it, it's that kind of like persistence and sort of like, you know, willing to kind of think about how to sort of get outside of your own comfort zone, right? Because I think it's, it's a two-way street, right? Like I think organizations and law firms, they need to find ways to sort of make um, attorneys of color feel more welcome. But I do also think there's some impetus on us as attorneys of color to figure out how to go outside of what we know. And there are simple things you can do. I mean, another thing I used to do when I first started um, in my first summer associate job is every day when I drove into work, I would listen to the sports report on WBZ radio because I have no interest in sports, but I knew lots of people in the office did. So I would just hear like, oh, this was a selfie score. This would happen in baseball. And I would at least know enough about what was going on to be able to not sound like a complete idiot and at least know like what sport the Red Sox play, that kind of thing. And so I think there are small steps like that that you can take um, to sort of move closer to people while also hopefully, you know, having the industry kind of change and move closer to you. 
Fantastic. Does anyone else want to chime in on their own lived experience with this? I think you just got to get over it. Like, unfortunately, the landscape now, there aren't many people of color in positions of power. So how are we going to shift that dynamic if we don't get out the comfort zone, start making those connections so that the people that are currently in power help us get that. And then we bring others who look like us through. So I think we just need to get over it. It's ideal if somebody can like, if comes from similar background too, like, or you can have that at a different level. If you want to talk about what it feels like to be a person of color in a loft, like find that person. But like, if you aren't trying to get to a higher level, you got to get over it. It is what it is. So unless you change that, it's not going to change. I'll just say, frankly, I think one of the, oh, sorry, go ahead, Alan. Sorry, real, real quick. Um, the white male attorney is not a monolith. Like that's the reality is there are plenty of white male attorneys who um, are interested in developing and, and helping attorneys of color grow and uh, become good lawyers. And uh, so I, I think, you know, yes, certainly get over the initial fear, but also like just seek out the people who are showing you that investment. There are plenty of them out there. And it's really more about figuring out who they are and developing the relationships that we've been talking about. And on the flip side of that, this is such a great point, Alan, and you took the words right out of my mouth. On the flip side of that, just because someone looks like you or is uh, female instead of male or is younger instead of older does not mean they're going to make a good mentor or sponsor for you. So part of this, too, is recognizing that it's not as if the firm or the company is a good space for mentorship or sponsorship. It's really about individual connections. And some people in your, in your workplace may have excellent relationships with other people in your um, company or in your firm, and you don't. That's not a negative to you. It doesn't mean you're not likable or that you're not a good mentee. It just means that there might be others at the firm that, or at the company that are better matches for you. And we all have different matches. Right. It's not it, as much as the white male concept is not a monolith. It's also not mentorship is not everybody's not good at it. <laughs> if I can say that out loud today and not everybody is really good at mentoring. A lot of people really aren't good at sponsoring and a lot of people aren't good at being a good mentee. That is what it is. But if you can start to build the skills and start to identify the people who are going to be good mentors or sponsors to you, then take some of the skills that we've talked about and the, and the approaches that we've talked about today of just reaching out, showing good work, showing the investment in yourself, then you can start to um, create the relationships with the right people for you. Okay, so we have a couple of quick questions through the, um, the Q&A that I wanted to just talk about. Um, one question is, and we sort of touched on this, um, I think, Bree, you touched on this when you said you have to get outside of your um, law school to really think about the connections you might have. But one of the questions that came in is, how much of a role do you believe your educational institutions played um, into your success as attorneys, as professionals? Does anyone want to start that? I would say my, for me, it was huge. Uh, the The network in and of itself is really important. And, uh, you know, I would say both my undergraduate and my law school uh, network of, of attorneys and, and folks who have either studied or practiced law, uh, it was always a starting point for me. And, you know, I would kind of immediately 
when I was interested in in uh, networking, interested in in developing connections at particular firms, the first thing I did was look for people who went to Bowdoin or people who went to BC Law. Um, so I think it really uh, helped me kind of get my foot in the door, but also uh, prepared me as best a law school can to kind of transition from being a student to being a practitioner. So anyone else want to chime in on this one? I think it's okay if not. I've got another one. Oh, go ahead, Bree. I think it's a good starting point because it's there. You're there as a law student. So definitely use that and what the resources that the school has for you, but get out there as well. Because a lot of the students are going to the same events. You're meeting the same people. You're going to have access to the same opportunities. You're not going to get more of a pool to be able to explore your options if you don't get out there more. So definitely use it as a starting point, but get out there as well. Do affinity bars, do um, section groups, what have you. So do that and more. Excellent. Okay, another question with a few minutes left. Any suggestions on, I think this goes, goes back to the first question we had about defining your own success. Any suggestions on how to approach conversations with senior attorneys or supervisors who may have different expectations about your work-life balance? I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, exactly how to have that conversation and, and how to approach it is, is kind of a judgment call. Everyone sort of has to make based on their own situation and sort of who they're working with. What I would say is um, have those conversations sooner rather than later, right? Like you, you don't want to be in a situation where you sort of already feel like you're in crisis. You need to have that conversation when things are, things are spinning out of control. Um, be, be proactive about it, you know? And, and I think that, you know, um, when you have those conversations with people, I think, you know, the, the, the culture is changing. People are, people are, I think, more receptive to having those conversations now than maybe they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But I think that, you know, people, people just appreciate you being proactive because it helps them plan, right? You know, if you, if you know that you have, you know, you're, you know, you, you're expecting some kind of change in your family situation or whatever, and you think you're, you're going to need to slow down or, or do something different, the sooner you can give the people above you a heads up, you know, the sooner they can plan. And I think they, they'll appreciate the, the ability to plan around you. Um, and they'll be more willing to sort of accommodate your schedule if, if they have noticed that they can kind of plan around that. For sure. I think sometimes too, you have to, this goes back to knowing what you want and or what you think you want and that at that time and being able to articulate it to yourself and then go with it. And that might mean that you have to think about um, a career change. It might mean that the place that you started or that you currently are is not the right place for you. It might be that the expectations of the employer don't mesh with what your needs are or your expectations for your own work-life balance would be. Again, that's not a failing of the employer and it's not, an, it's not a failing of you. It's just a mismatch of what the, what the definition of success is for both of you. And so sometimes that means it's time to look at the career and figure out where, where does your definition of success fit today and how do you make that a reality for yourself? Um, as a related question, I think in the chat, and Alan, you might've answered this in writing, but um, 
another uh, question was like, if you want to do pro bono work, how do you make sure that you have time for that? How do you build that out when there are expectations of billable hours that are payable hours? And Alan, maybe you want to just quickly cover that in the very short time we have left. Sure. Yeah. I mean, my, my general philosophy is I try to prioritize my billable work just because that is the bread and butter. And that's what kind of I'm chiefly evaluated on, but um, you know, in, in an ideal world, if you're able to put yourself in a position where you've uh, gotten your, your billable work, your hours in a place where you're in good shape, you're comfortable, you're on track to hit the numbers that you need to, it frees up opportunities to do other things, right? And, and But this also goes back to owning your work and, and doing the best that you can. You know, the more that people earn your trust, um, no, the more... Uh, the, the people that you're working with, you earn their trust. Um, I probably just said it again the wrong way, but you know what I mean. You got it. <laughs> if you do good work, they trust you. They know that you're on top of the work. That in and of itself is very freeing. Um, and this actually goes to the, same, the, the previous question that, that we were just addressing as to being able to find more of that balance. Uh, most of the, the partners that I work with very consistently they know what they're getting with me. They know that I'm a hard worker. They know that they're going to get good work product. So if I tell them I have something else to do, for example, tomorrow, I have a board retreat for a board that I sit on from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. So I'm going to be completely off the grid for that. And, you know, I told the partners that I work with, I'm going to be out of pocket pretty much most of the day tomorrow. And there's no question about it. Nobody pushed back on me at all. Um, but it takes, it takes time to get there, right? So you have to do the work, you need to do it well, develop that rapport, develop that trust and that reputation, and that frees you up to do a lot of things. So while that's not exactly an example of pro bono, in my view, it's very similar. Like the volunteer work that I do, whether it's in the firm or outside the firm, you know, things that I care about and causes that I care about, I kind of put those in the bucket and, you know, if it's important to you, find, find ways to do those things, but bear in mind that it does require the building up of goodwill in the process. Totally agree. And that is such a great point to end on. You know, it, it's, um, there is a lot of power that you have yourself to make these decisions and to um, build up your own reputation, your own professional development in the way that you want it to be built up. And don't, don't forget that. Uh, I think that's all the time we have today. Thank you again to my esteemed panel uh, for being here today and for sharing all of your stories. And thank you to the Boston Bar Association for inviting us here. Thanks so much.